This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Agency Podcast. My name is Chris Bolton. Today, I have author and designer Justin Dower on the show. Justin just published a book called Cultivating a Creative Culture. It's a quick read with lots of great insights about setting up a culture and empowering creatives. I have a buy link in the show notes at creativeagencypodcast.com if you'd like to pick up your copy. So we'll be talking to Justin about culture, how to create it, and how to make it great. Justin has some really amazing tips for onboarding new employees that we've actually started using at Murmur Creative. Our sponsor for this episode is Gather Content. If you design and build websites, you need Gather Content. It will save you time and money and headaches. Um, We've been using it at Murmur Creative for about a year, and really there's no going back. Gather Content makes managing web content like copy and photos super easy. During the web design process, it allows you to interact with your clients. Um, Gather Content also allows you to export content directly into a CMS like WordPress, Drupal, Sitecore, and many more. So you can get a free 30-day trial and 15% off any plan with discount code CAP if you go to gathercontent.com forward slash CAP. So the discount code is CAP and the URL is gathercontent.com forward slash CAP as well. If you like the show, I'd love to hear about it in a positive review on iTunes or a comment on the website creativeagencypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at creativeagncy. All right, let's get to the interview. Hello out there. I've got Justin Dower on the line, author of a new book called Cultivating a Creative Culture. Uh, Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. So uh, your background is in web design, correct? Um, Well, I got into web design, but I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago many eons ago before kind of, you know, web design was formal curriculum. But uh, my my earliest jobs were in uh, web design. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that, your career trajectory and uh, what you do now and how you came to write this book? Absolutely. So, um, like I said, I went to the School of the Art Institute uh, in the late 90s. um, And that was kind of a time um, when, you know, if you told your parents you were a web designer was kind of a head scratcher because that term was just, you know, very new. Um, mm-hmm. So while I was at the, while I was in art school, I uh, self-taught myself uh, just the, the very basics of HTML at the time. And I did some independent studies and, you know, I would go into the lab and put a web browser on a, on a, on the various lab computers for independent study and people would come in there and just like, you know, having a rollover or like navigating to a page was a mind blowing thing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, formally trained in design. And then uh, straight from then, I, I moved to the East Coast, like literally the day after I graduated uh, art school and, and, and got a job as a web designer with a, an internet magazine and did some illustration and web design for them. And um, from then on, moving back into Chicago, it's been, you know, agency side or uh, tech side kind of my entire career. I've vacillated between uh, studios or I've, I've worked product side, which is actually where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Um and really, it's those experiences across agency side and, and tech side and um, that have really, you know, helped shape uh, what, what I've written in this book. You know, positive and negative, uh, everything kind of yields 
uh, learnings that uh, you know were applicable towards the content of the book. That's great. So listeners will be listening to this after today, but um, today is actually the release date of the book. Is that correct? That's right. Today's today is launch day, so I'm a little I'm a little wired. <laughs> That's I, I great. Wired. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the book is about company culture, and it, it's you know based on your experiences as a designer in various capacities. Um, I I love the book. I thought it was great. So since we are going to focus on on talking about culture, um, mm-hmm. how how would you define company culture, or is it something that can be defined? Well, it's it's nothing that's tangible per se, but it is uh, comprised of a million tangible moving parts. So, if I was to define a company culture, it's it's the environment in which uh, the day to day unfolds at the office. Um, you know how people are engaged with, how they're supported, how their value is conveyed, um, how meetings are conducted or not, uh, how how the work they create is produced. All those kind of facets uh, form what is what is a creative culture and how that's felt. Makes sense. Um, do you think that culture is more important for creative businesses like agencies than for other businesses? Well, I mean, you know, my, the way the lens of the book, the lens through it, through which I've written the book is obviously through, um, uh, you know, a design lens. It's, mm-hmm. it's both visual design and programmatic design. So a lot of the, the texts and, and, and the way I, I approach things in the book are a little more specific to that environment. That said, um, I don't think a culture is more important to creative businesses at all. I think, you know, that's kind of a universal, uh, a universal thing across trans industry and, and pan media. So, you know, I, I lead chapter two um, with uh, Nick Cirillo, who is a pizzeria owner, very specifically because I wanted to focus on someone who is air quotes doing it right culturally mm-hmm. and completely outside of the lens of an agency or a product company and just those core takeaways, humility respect, uh, empowering people to do good work. Those are, those apply towards any industry, uh, you know, anywhere in the world. So th- th- I really feel like that's a, that's kind of a common takeaway. In your book, I, I really loved the onboarding process that you described. Um, it actually even influenced the recent hire that we did here at Murmur Creative. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah. I mean, first of all, that that's absolutely wonderful to hear. And then it's, it's not the first time I've heard it, that the onboarding process is something that was that's not, not just resonated, but that's something that's been quickly adopted. And to me, that is, you know, really the first step. I mean, that's how I, I lead the book. Um, that is the first step towards um, establishing creative culture when someone first walks through the door. So um, in the book, I broke it out across what I call acclimation, uh, conversation, inspiration, and reflection. And those ultimately form uh, a day one, which really I'd like to take place on a Friday and not a Monday. People are very used to uh, starting on a Monday or either they're going through a company training or they're coming in on Monday and they they might go out to a lunch with some coworkers. And um, if if they're lucky, some people come in on their first day and they're, you know, in client work within the first hour. So there's a million different ways to cut it. But I like to have what I call the new day one on a Friday because that generates an energy and a momentum that, you know, really is intended to carry through the weekend. uh, So that positive energy then comes through through Monday and then people are a little more equipped to uh, learn about project work and and things like that. So uh, the acclimation portion, somebody somebody comes in, I I make sure my butt is out of my chair. I'm greeting them at the door. You know, I've I've had this happen to me before where I've come on my first day and you know, the person who hired me uh, hadn't even didn't even come in until two o'clock, and people uh, were saying, "Oh, uh, you know, are are you an art director? What do you do?" 
<laughs> um, so, you know, I, I make sure I'm greeting this person and straight away I'm greeting them as a human being. Um, and, and this acclamation is when they're, when they come back to their desk, you know, along the way they're being introduced to people and there's no fumbling of any sort. We're not, we're not scrambling. We're not saying, Oh, where's this person's computer? They have a mouse. Uh, you know, no, nothing like that. We want to make sure this person feels welcomed and we're prepared for them and they've given us, you know, the, their uh, respect and we want to extend the same back to them. So they come to the desk, everything should be, everything should be ready. Their laptop should be there. Um, you know, the keyboard, everything's set up. Uh, maybe there's an, a, a card. I've, I've done this, you know, before where there's a card where everyone signed it that says welcome. So you're immediately uh, putting names to faces and it, it stimulates some conversation. And then people just, you know, uh, sit down and uh, through this acclimation process and we talk about, you know, you could, they could set up their laptop as they see fit, but, you know, maybe, you know, how are you handling file storage or are we using Git or TFS for source code management? And just, you know, I'll say, okay, my, my front end manager over here can field that or this, you know, this person can answer that question and dialogue is kind of organically uh, formed without it being a very rigid or you know, uh, a spotlight approach, I like to call it, where you're, somebody's kind of flooded and they're just shaking a bunch of hands and you can't put names to faces. And uh, that, that's really not the way to do it. Again, we want to think through the lens of treat people how you'd like to be treated. And on my first day, I would not like, you know, the shock and awe approach. Um, when we hired our, our most recent person, um, we did actually do that. We, we created a card for them. We set up their computer. And then rather than dumping them right into the workflow, we set up a series of sort of orientation meetings with different people in the office. And we sort of did that for like two days before we even started getting into the sort of the day-to-day the -day stuff. And I feel like it was, it was a little bit of a rush job on our part to put all that together, but it was sort of like we were realizing that that was really important place to start with the new employee. And uh, I think that I think it felt good. And I think that hopefully we could just keep on developing that process with each new hire. So uh, if I could just have bring someone aboard like this, this is the first time you you did this for a new hire. Um, what, what, did it feel comfortable? Did it feel like, you know, it was it was a natural thing to do? Or did you feel rewarded after bringing this person out in this manner? I think so. I mean, I think that we felt, I think we all felt good about it. I felt like we were doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the it is funny because when you, when you hire someone and you, and everything's busy and you just say, okay, everything's a mess. I'll talk to you in 15 minutes when I have a chance. That doesn't feel necessarily all that unnatural either because sometimes when you have a really busy workplace, like it seems crazy to dedicate time to something like onboarding um, because there's so many things in the air, but you also forget what an impression that makes on the person who's coming in, who's just like, oh, like, obviously I'm not the priority. I'm just a, you know, a, a cog in the works that will be attended to when I get it, when someone has time. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a very valid point. And that, that really does, you said it sets the tone and, and whether or not it's a deliberate act, really the, this person is coming in and wanting to feel welcomed and not feeling like, you know, they're kind of hung out to dry. So these little, these little human, I'll say this a lot during this interview, these human touches, these human centered approaches, um, as an agency in this agency world or as designers or as front end developers, everything we do is through the lens of empathy, empathy towards our users, human centered approach, 
refocusing that approach that we do for, that we employ for our users back internally really that permeates just about everything we're going to talk about today so what is the the human centered approach you know how is that different than another kind of approach to culture Really, it's just about putting uh, humans first. I've, I've already mentioned this. It's about the golden rule, treating others the way you'd like to be treated. And that's something our moms and dads teach us, you know, at the at the fundamental um, part of our, our, our growing up. And it, it absolutely is applicable to what we're talking about here. It's rechanneling those client approaches, empathy, humility back into ourselves and, and, and our daily life. So, uh, you know, human centered is obviously human factors, human centered work. That's a very outwardly face. Those are outwardly facing terms um, in our industry. But really everything we do and, and the manner in which we create should be driven by humans. And we'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about uh, ego and, and, and the way, you know, people can approach uh, feedback in meetings. That's all through the lens of everyone having a flat human-centered approach where everyone's voice is equal. You know, I, I remember for a, for a long time, people would um, use the term, bring your whole self to work. And that concept kind of meant that, you know, you, there wasn't a work persona and a home persona mm -hmm. that basically you were who you are and you come to work being who you are. And if you got home problems, you know, like you don't necessarily put them on a shelf, you can share them and um, express yourself as a whole person rather than um, a fraction of a person. <laughs> right, right. No, that's, that's an approach um, I'm familiar with and I, I respect. And I think it complements um, it complements the subject matter in the book and it, it complements what we're talking about today. One, one of the tenets of, of bring your whole self to work is, um, you know, for, it, it, people by and large tend to avoid uncomfortable conversations. Um, there's that, that core methodology of bring your whole self to work where, uh, you know, those sweaty palm conversations that people try to avoid because they're they're awkward. That that is applicable to what we're talking about here. If we're talking about um, ego, for example, um, and, and ego, it can be cancerous in the workplace. How do we deal with people uh, who have an inflated ego in the in the workplace? And that bring your whole self to work concept of of having these uncomfortable dialogues, like at home, if you know you uh, your spouse and and you are aren't uh, syncing up well that day, you you'll sit down on the couch and you'll talk it through. I mean tearing down those barriers in the workplace and being able to sit and talk to someone as a human being, I mean, that, that permeates so much deeper than uh, levels of hierarchy. And can I say this to this person? Obviously, what's still being respectful, but that's, you know, very intrinsic in what we're talking about here. I feel like ego in the creative space, especially can be a sensitive issue because you do have people putting their work and their creativity on the line a lot. And a lot of times people sort of associate that with themselves. So it's not just like you're critiquing work they've done, but you're also critiquing them. And that can be um, hard. And, you know, as well for, you know, managers and, and owners who have put their whole self into the business. And when you criticize them, they feel like they're being attacked. So yeah, ego is definitely um, what 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 uh, tactics would you say d dealing with with ego are the most effective? Well, uh, you know, at some point there's going to be uh, it, there's going to be a, a manner up the chain where this this dialogue uh, it stops. So, say for example, you have a very senior manager who's been in the in the industry for uh, 25, 30 years, uh, certainly has earned their place within the organizational hierarchy, but they have an ego that kind of goes with it. So culturally, if you have this person, you know, if you're in feedback meetings and it's do this because I said so, or, um, you know, the feedback is not constructive at all. It's, it's much more through the lens of, you know, I, I'm the boss, do it this way. That, that 
is not healthy for human human interaction, and it's certainly not healthy for the quality um, of the work. So leading up to the chain, obviously, if you're a little more junior level employee, uh, you're not going to feel super empowered straight away because you know this person is either a titan of the industry or they're a stakeholder of the business. So as you kind of go up that level of seniority, um, this is where the culture starts to reveal itself. Can I approach my coworker in talking about this person? Okay, that's step one. Can I approach my my manager about this? Okay, that's step two. Can they approach their boss? Okay, and then you know how far can this organic dialogue get? Where I'm at, where this is actually in front of this person and is is conveyed to them in a in a healthy and positive way. You know, obviously there's there's levels of gray. Uh, it's not as black as white as you know. You're you're being a jerk. Can you please tone it down a notch? There's levels of gray in how this is conveyed or delivered. Or you know, this last meeting, uh, you know, we feel like the you know the feedback could have been a little more uh, positive, or the feedback could have been a little more constructive towards the way um, we. So we are our employees and our designers uh, can better their work, and they can and they can take this feedback and improve rather than just being belittled. So can those dialogues happen? Um, if they can, you know, that's a sign that the culture can be improved upon or there's room uh, for, for hope. If, if the dialogue kind of dies at that point, you know, then there's some signs of some deeper seated issues within the culture. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, drawing that that connection between, you know, what we do as creatives, which a lot of times involves sort of empathy, trying to understand you know, what's in the heads of, you know, users who are using the products or the websites or the, you know, the creative that we're creating, that skill in itself can, you know, as you say, be applied to the office environment and that developing that skill will not only improve your work, but also improve your workplace. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, that that's something that I, I, I lead the book with and it, it just, it permeates the material uh, quite a bit that, the way there's no reason to not take those same methodologies of, of being empathetic and 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 being cognizant of, of uh, human-centered experiences and rechanneling that into the way we interact with one another and 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 the way we bring that into our culture. Really, it's all about everyone, you know, getting each other's back and doing good work. That, I mean, people get into the industry because they're passionate about what they do. You know, people want to improve. They want to improve their skill sets. People are looking at like websites like awards.com uh, and things like that because they want to see who are the people at the peak of the industry. And, and you know, you can certainly be inspired by flipping through browser tabs and things like that. But um, there's so much more to be had uh, rather than just looking at uh, websites and things like that for inspiration when we can be inspired by one another and even outside of the office. That makes sense. What what about transparency and how important is that to culture? I you know it's something that we've actually struggled a little bit with here at Murmur Creative because being completely transparent about things doesn't always necessarily mean that people will understand what the information that they're receiving is. You know, like if you know we had a we had issues where talking about money openly in the office upset some people because it would didn't have enough context you know like it so we've started sort of like being a little bit more careful about mm -hmm. like um framing the conversations we have about money and you know because you say oh shoot like we didn't get this project what are we going to do people can be like is my job on the line sure sure <laughs> or, or you know or it can happen the other way hey we just landed this big project oh like oh we're all going to be rich um so while 
transparency seems like a very important value to me. Um, I also, you know, realize it's it's a struggle to maintain transparency. And and you talked about that pizza company, which seemed to be executing that in kind of an amazing way, where they put everybody's salaries up on the board and everybody can see them. And right, I mean the the manner in which Nick Cirilla, um tackles it is to make sure everyone is empowered to learn as much as they want and make as much as they want, or if people just want to clock in and be you know, um, nine, nine to five workers because they have, you know, families, what have you, they're, they're empowered to do that, uh, as well. So people know how they can, how, how they can su- succeed or thrive very, very plainly in that sense. And it works in that setting. Does, does knowing one another's salary in every setting work? Obviously not. I mean that, you know, uh, whether it's the most fair thing in the world, some people might always feel like they're not uh, p- properly compensated or this person's overcompensated. Uh, you know, money and politics are things that are always going to be uh, dicey to talk about. Right. Um, and salaries, you know, that that probably um, is something that, you know, discretion should uh, be applied to. And even you said it, employing tact in how you deliver information and not, not just dropping a bomb and then backing off. Oh, we didn't get this client or, oh, this client uh, dropped the retainer and they're going with someone else. OK, meeting adjourned. I mean, that is obviously going to cause panic. How, how is this delivered? You know, okay, you know, we did, this didn't work out, but we're, we're pitching some more business or, um, you know, as, as people are out there, um, you know, if they're have to expense something, you know, just kind of consider you're working with your own finances and just be a little more mindful until, you know, we sign this next client. Yeah. So there are certainly human centered ways of delivering, um, information like that, that applies across the board. Uh, you know, you cited tact and I think that's the perfect way to approach it. Excellent. Do you think that regular check-ins and reviews are are helpful to cultivating a good culture? I do. Uh, and again, I, I just cited levels of gray. There are absolutely levels of gray there. Um, no one likes the backseat creative director. Um, if you're working and you feel someone looming over your shoulder and, and they're kind of, you know, they're more or less doing the work and you're just the hands, that is the wrong way to approach it. Regular check-ins should happen organically throughout the day. You know, as as you you know you're convening by the espresso machine, you can kind of ask how work's going. Do you have any any stumbles? Is there anything you like to put up on a wall that we can look at? Or you know, as you know, you just have a casual dialogue on someone's workplace. Uh, they can cite, hey, can you come over here and take a look at that? Being the enforcer again, this comes back to do it because I said so. That absolutely is is belittling, and it, it causes stress, and it just really hinders the work. Um, I keep talking about culture and, and positive vibes and things like that, and I don't want it to sound too um, new age because really this all comes back to everyone doing their best work and improving as designers and programmers and creators. So um, check-ins, yeah, absolutely valuable, valuable, but as long as they're done in a very healthy, organic manner, I think that's the most successful way to go about it. Gotcha. Great. Um... Another thing you say in the in the book is beware the perk. Certainly. So this is something that you know I've had this happen to me where I, I've I was on a flight once and I think I was coming back from uh, the West Coast into Chicago, and it was uh, like a, a I don't know five hour flight and I was feeling kind of burned out and I, I opened the in flight magazine. And it was talking about this tech juggernaut who had these um, these sleep pods where if I was feeling you know uh, fatigued or if I you know had to work until 1 a.m. Uh, at any given night I can go and I could nap in this in this sleep pod and I'll feel recharged <laughs> and I can go back to work till 2 a.m. and I thought damn that sounds good but you know that that's the way the perk is designed to sound like oh this sounds good they're looking out for me but really this is kind of enforcing 
negative behavior and that we'll, we'll give you this perk, but it's under the, uh, under the guise of we're helping you out, which more translates to you, you can work until 3 a.m. Or, or, hey, you know, if you're here late, we'll do your laundry. Or if you're working past 9 uh, p.m., we'll get you a cab home. And it's, it's almost enablers. It's enabling unhealthy behavior and it's setting expectations that this is almost what's expected of you without being super overt about it. So I'm just saying, you know, be mindful. Sometimes this isn't black or white again. There can be some, some certainly uh, positive perks. Uh, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking for your next agency role or, or any role, uh, just kind of dig in a little deeper about what, what this perk is actually uh, enabling and, and setting up expectation-wise. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of agencies really do sort of, you know, they stock the cupboards with food and the, and the fridge with beer and, um, that's great. But yeah, I, I suppose right along with that, they could be like, Oh, look, you never have to leave the office. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it was that video. I, I saw this viral vi uh, video on YouTube, maybe five years ago where, um, you know, people are being let out of a project and they're all in this big gymnasium and their families kind of running up to them and hugging them like they haven't seen them in five years. And then they <laughs> kind of tearfully go back to their offices. Um, so, you know, again, there, there are certainly healthy ways to go about doing this. <laughs> um, so at our agency, um, our, our leadership team doesn't have a ton of time to focus on culture and leadership. We're, you know, we're all working with clients just like everybody else. It's a concern of ours that we don't have enough time to work on this stuff. Do you think that's dangerous? You know, I mean, I, I guess a lot of cultural things sort of come in, come from the leadership's personality and things that they're not consciously doing. But do you think it's dangerous not to have, you know, more dedicated time to, to work on culture? It can be, but I mean, of course, as leadership or as, as the founding partners or as, as the business, the core business stakeholders, the buck really is stopping with you as far as the bottom line is concerned. So, I mean, we can't be, we have to be mindful that, again, this is not a black or white situation. So if you or your partner or whoever is, is running the business cannot dedicate time towards ensuring the culture is healthy and thriving on the day-to-day, then it can be on you to ensure the staff or the team or an individual is empowered to do so in your absence. So, you know, you're kind of setting the tone with this person about what what you feel the culture should be providing your team, but really you're enabling them to to do so in your absence. So you're still the champion per se, but you're not you're not losing focus on, you know, keeping the lights on and, and paying paying salaries and making sure health insurance is provided. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we say to our employees at Murmur is um, we're all responsible for the culture. And since we're all busy working for our clients, we kind of expect and hope that everyone is pitching in to make it a good workplace. <laughs> that's that's phenomenal. That's a great way to deliver that message. So you, you dedicate a whole chapter um, in the book to um, changing how we perceive time in creative businesses. Can you talk a little bit about that philosophy? Absolutely. That, that chapter is called The Value of Time, um, and the entire chapter is speaking to what you're talking about. Time for client work is, of course, paramount. And I, like I just said, it, what's keep, it keeps the lights on. It, it's what keeps health insurance premiums paid. But uh, time for employee growth, time for augmenting and supporting people's passions and skill sets, that is just as valuable. And in many agencies, if there are unbillable time slots or unbillable, you know, the old doom and gloom internal job code, unbillable, 
uh, everyone tries to avoid using that if, if you're using time tracking. Um, people innately feel like they've failed or, good God, I don't have enough work to do. How is this going to look uh, on my timesheet? People should never feel that fear. They should never feel like their job is on the line or their value is mitigated in any way because they've taken time to to read up on a, a new t web technology or they've god forbid taken time to pause by the coffee machine and and engage their coworkers about about their work or uh you know this this new tedx talk that they just saw people should always feel they should feel like they have the facility to take time to uh, encourage their growth uh, as an employee so Really, this is something, and if we're talking about what comes from top down, this is something that has to come from the top down, that this is a known quantity to people when they, when they join an agency that, you know, certainly we, we expect you to be billable and we, we client work, you know, pays the bills. But, um, you know, Google takes this, uh, takes this a uh, step further where they, um, you know, give employee, I, I forget the uh, specifics, but they give employees X percent of time to work on uh, their personal projects and then kind of reinvigorate that back into their work. Those kind of expectations set for a new employee coming aboard, I mean, then they know it's a known quantity. They don't feel hyper judged for uh, a, a negative or, you know, a, not a negative, but an internal time uh, code on their job sheet. Those are expectations that have to be set by, by leadership. And that really is what the value of time is all about. Value of time of billable time versus value of time uh, towards your employees, your staff, the people who are the outward, their work is the outward face of your company. They have to improve. They have to maintain their passion. They can't just come in and, and lose that fire and lose that spark because that's going to affect them. It's going to affect your your the quality of your work and it's going to affect your bottom line. So this simple uh the simple methodology is absolutely huge towards you know uh, uh, employee engagement and quality of work um you also talk about different environments getting out of the office um you know getting up from your desk and how those things sort of affect and and or improve efficiency and creativity um the thing is being american workers we have this um we have this mindset that we're are shackled to our desks and like I said, you know, even the simple act of lingering by the coffee machine some, uh, for some people is kind of a, uh, a, hard, a hard thing to enact because they feel like they have to get their coffee and, and get back to their desk. So I almost, I, in some instances, and in, in, in Nance and other uh, agencies, I've had to force people, uh, kindly, force people to work at a coffee shop a day a week. And because I, I, a coffee shop provides a completely different energy um, than working in an office. Uh, the dynamic is different. Um, your, 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 your thought processes are different. You might establish industry contacts. Um, a, a culture uh, can explicitly state it, um, or a, a culture can you know, kind of provide the playing field. And it's up to a manager to kind of seize that and take it uh, a step further. So I feel like there's so much inspiration to be had outside of uh, flipping through browser tabs and and, and looking at uh, you know this UI library or this this website won this award, you know that that's good for 15 seconds. But there's so much outside that we can bring back into the the, the office space that we you know is just not being seized in so many agencies. One of the things I want to sort of go back towards the the beginning of the book because I love this idea so much, and we did talk about it earlier. The um, the question that you ask an on uh, an employee that you're onboarding about their favorite place in the city, 
Yes. Well, that, that's uh, that's the inspiration part. When I talked about acclimation, conversation, inspiration. Um, when we're having the conversation portion, that's you know after they've uh, the employee's been acclimated, I'll have a lunch place queued up. Uh, over lunch, because people are going to have food in their mouths and things like that, we're going to talk about family and, and, you know, how long have you been in Chicago, what have you, just, you know, kind of surface level, get to know you conversation. After that, I'll take them to a coffee shop where you can dig in a little more into workflow, um, tools they like to use, what their creative mindset is. When that's wrapping up, I'll ask them uh, kind of cold, I'd like you to take me someplace in the city that inspires you. And, you know, sometimes somebody will you know, rattle out an answer as soon as those words have left my mouth. Sometimes I get a deer in headlights look, uh, and sometimes people just can't think of anything, and, and that that's fine. I'll have like you know, I'll have something queued up in my mind where I can take someone to uh, inspire them. But this to me affords a level into someone's creative thinking that looking at a portfolio just cannot provide. Um, you know, is it um, is it a stretch of road someplace? Is it some is it someplace by the lakefront? Is it a concert venue? Is it uh, a little, uh, you know, is it a comic book shop? When you go to these things, it's not just, okay, walking through and we're going to buy comic books. Now I'm going to ask them, what, what about this inspires you? What are you taking from this that's inspired the way you work, that inspires uh, who you are as a person? Um, and it's just this, again, I'm going to bring this back in, human-centered interaction. We're, we're employees, I'm their manager. You know they're they're coming in to provide their uh, their skills uh, to the company and myself, but we're we're talking as people. Like levels of hierarchy are completely off the table here. It's just two people interacting, two people conversing, and uh, the learnings there are just absolutely phenomenal. And you know I've had uh, people after this, you know, uh, tears have welled up in their eyes because they're so joyous of being recognized as a human being that never kind of experienced anything like this in their professional careers and and honest to god that that's how it should be this is people should be interacted with as humans and they they carry this energy from friday into the weekend and they're they're and they're talking to their family and their friends and uh you know they're going to social media and 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 through these wonderful interactions they're becoming instantly organic marketing for your company because they're the, the positive vibes are immediately outward facing so it just forms this beautiful cycle of positivity and, and good energy um, for the company and the individual. That's great. I really love that idea. We we didn't actually try it out on our, our, our recent employee, but may, maybe on the next one we'll we'll do something like that. It's it's a really cool idea, and I feel like you know it is something that will be very memorable. I mean, I don't know how many memorable first days I've had at jobs, but most I don't think I can remember any of them. But I'm sure if someone asked me that question and took me to a place in the city that I love that I'd probably remember it. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is something uh, definitely memorable. And um, I, I've had it done for me and I, I haven't forgotten it. And the people I've done it for have still mentioned it. So I know it's something that resonates for the long term. That's cool. You you mentioned in the book that you sort of worked in some uh, toxic environments or, you know, culturally. Is there is there a cure? Is there a way to sort of detoxify a culture that's become toxic? Well, I'll, I'll preface that my answer to that with, I mean, I, I spoke earlier about, you know, it, this is going to go up to the, the level of seniority chain at some point. You're going to hit the reason for the toxicity at some point. And really this comes down to is, is the culture, are the people willing to change or are they kind of set in their ways? Is, is the culture so baked in, so defined by this individual that it's not budging? That's why I say at the end of the book, never settle. And I, I I passionately believe in that. 
we'll, we'll, we'll take it as, as far as we can, and I'll, I'll answer your question. We'll take it as far as we can about repairing the culture and, and the toxicity if that's present. But if you genuinely have done everything you can, languishing in a role for years because you feel indebted or because you feel you, feel you need to, that is absolutely tragic to your work and your, your creative spark. So having said that, I mean, when I've, when I've worked in toxic environments before, we started small. We, we revised how we were providing non-subjective feedback to one another in meetings. You know, people not saying, I like this, or eh, this doesn't work for me. People saying, this is, this is successful because of X, or this can be improved because of Y, or users would anticipate Z. So, you know, we started with that. We, we kind of began our own, what I guess I would call a bubble culture, uh, a mini culture, um, within the organization that we knew was going to take um, a, a longer haul to kind of, you know, see if we can uh, make it more an outwardly facing uh, healthy environment. But, you know, in the, within this bubble culture, we had many inspiration uh, sessions amongst the team. Um, I talk about the creative inspiration Wednesdays in the book where uh, people kind of bring in something that has inspired them uh, away from work. If they went to a gallery over the weekend, if they listened to a piece of music, that was awesome. If they saw a movie, what have you, everyone kind of brings in something that's inspired them. Um, I, I had a person at my, at my current business bring in um, a gardening tool because he was doing gardening over the weekend. He found this really cool uh, form factor tool that helped them accomplish the tool, uh, the job they need to do. And he brought in the tool and he brought in the weed that he pulled. So <laughs> uh, no joke. So people are bringing in physical things. They're bring, we're looking at movie clips. If somebody read a book, uh, it can be industry-based or it can be, you know, anything really. Um, so we did this in, the, in this uh, bubble culture, and that doesn't take the whole company if there's, you know, some unyielding natures amongst the uh, agency. Um, you know, but again, uh, we, we tried to push it a little bit, and this did halt at a more senior level person. This, this, uh, in terms of how far we could take it with a with a healthy creative culture. Um, you know, there, we, if we had to go out and we want to take a coffee break, we had to sign our name and then we had to sign our name again. When we came back in and every minute we were out the door, we had to make up doing client work. Oh yeah, no joke. So, I mean, <laughs> people would, uh, that that's cause for head shaking. It's cause for belittlement. It's, it's really psychological, uh, abuse is what it's tantamount to. So, um, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to paint a, a super, uh, you know, rosy picture. That was uh, an environment where there was, there was no, uh, reparation. So everyone needs to know and follow their gut about not settling and when they need to move on and look for their next opportunity. That makes sense. Good advice. So I always like to ask my guests um, for three pieces of advice. In your case, you know, this would be three pieces of advice for creating a killer culture. Um, what, what are your three takeaways? First, I suppose I'd say be the cultural champion. I mean, you just mentioned as a, as a business owner, you don't have the time to, to be in the trenches, if you will, and, uh, and, and ensure the culture on the day-to-day -day is is. A healthy positive one but you know set the tone and ensure your brand and your culture are synonymous what 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 are people signing up for is is it portrayed on your website and people come in the door and they're like good god this is not what i was expecting uh, you have to make sure those are, 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 the, are the same and they're synonymous. So, you know, being the cultural champion of your business, whether it's a hands-on uh, capacity or empowering uh, an individual or, or an advisory group, let's call it, to, to do so, that, that's something that's absolutely key. 
the second thing I would say is ensure the culture is a known quantity to everyone. I've said in the past in my previous roles is if, you know, if we're hiring somebody, if I'm hiring someone and I'm looking for a role and I'm interviewing somebody and I'm talking about the culture, the way I work, the way we like to produce uh, design, uh, visual programmatic, and you can tell when someone's been burned in the past and they just had that hunger in their eyes and you could just see the, the spark reigniting. That's an easy that's an easy win. But if someone's coming out of college or someone's changing industry, how do you ensure the culture is a known quantity to everyone? So this has to be on the on the agency owner to make sure someone when they're coming on, they know that they can go and take a walk. They know what the value of time is. Um, I, I mentioned government digital services um, in my book. It's a, it's a it's a, a British. Um, uh, business that augments how the government works. They li literally tack on the wall. It's okay to not check your email after work. It's okay to leave early to get your kids. I mean, you can be as explicit as that, but you know, as the agency owner, just make sure people know what your culture is, what they can seize, and it's a known quantity across the board. The last thing I would say is, talked about a lot about um, you know physical interactions and humility and things like that, but spatially, as the business owner augment the workspace so it's absolutely conducive to a creative culture because the way an office is configured if it's soul draining lights and it's high cubicle walls and you know all the levels of seniority are in offices with a door closed i mean that that is not yet you can just feel i mean to use my new agey terms again you could just feel the energy kind of stopping at, at various points of terrible feng shui within the office so Make sure the, uh, the office is configured where somebody can pause and have coffee and have a conversation. Or there are little nooks where people can work away from their desk. Or, uh, you know, there are areas, I, I cite the value of play in my book about, you know, having some Legos out or having some puzzles out or having some uh, ink wells and paper for people to just get out, work out their problem solving and, and their, and their uh, creative block and just work it through. Make sure there are the, those spaces are there and uh, make sure people know that they can use them without being judged. So those are the three things I feel are kind of uh, core building stones for uh, a business owner. That's cool. That reminds me of a, um, a CEO I interviewed early on in the podcast who this agency, Copious, they don't have any assigned seating whatsoever. They just have sort of desks everywhere and couches and people just come in and decide where they're going to sit and where they're going to work for the day and sort of create little pods depending on what they're working on. And I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's that's fantastic. And, and there are models like the, the WeWork model where, you know, there's a common office space and people kind of come in and they, they sit at a table or a couch or a futon or what have you. And I mean, that you can see those those same concepts kind of permeating the, the contractor and then the, the startup uh, space as well, which is absolutely phenomenal. That's cool. Well, awesome. It was great talking to you. Um, I would encourage everyone who's listening to pick up a copy of the book. Where can they pick up a copy? Uh, I'm happy to say just about everywhere. Uh, having having launched today, um, it's available just about everywhere online, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Um, so yeah, just go online and uh, a copy can be yours. Excellent. Excellent. I'll put links to it in the show notes. Um, that's Cultivating a Creative Culture by Justin Dower. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate the dialogue. You bet. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. 
be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com. 